Chapters three and four of the Women of the American Revolution, Volume One, by Elizabeth F. Ellett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter three, Catherine Schuyler. The name of Philip Schuyler adds another to the list of distinguished men indebted largely to maternal guidance. To his mother, a woman of strong and cultivated mind, he owed his early education and habits of business, with that steadfast integrity which never faltered nor forsook him. His wife, the beloved companion of his maturer years, cherished his social virtues and added lustre to his fame. Those who shared his generous hospitality, or felt the charm of his polished manners, were ready to testify to the excellence of her whose gentle influence was always apparent. A brief notice of her is all that can here be offered catherine schuyler was the only daughter of john van rensselaer called patroon of greenbush a patriot in the revolutionary struggle and noted for his hospitality and for his kindness and forbearance towards the tenants of his vast estates during the war it cannot be doubted that the recent anti-rent struggles which have almost convulsed the state of new york can be traced to the amiable but injudicious indulgence of this great landowner and his immediate heirs the qualities which in some cases shone in remarkable acts were constantly exercised by mrs schuyler in the domestic sphere at the head of a large family her management was so perfect that the regularity with which all went on appeared spontaneous her life was devoted to the care of her children yet her friendships were warm and constant and she found time for dispensing charities to the poor many families in poverty remember with gratitude the aid received from her sometimes in the shape of a milch cow or other article of use she possessed great self-control and as a mistress of a household her prudence was blended with unvarying kindness her chief pleasure was in diffusing happiness in her home the house in which the family resided near albany was built by mrs schuyler while her husband was in england in seventeen sixty and seventeen sixty one it had probably been commenced previously the ancient family mansion large and highly ornamented in the dutch taste stood on the corner of state and washington streets in the city it was taken down about the year eighteen hundred it was a place of resort for british officers and travellers of note in the french war fourteen french gentlemen some of them officers who had been captured in seventeen fifty eight were here entertained as prisoners on parole they found it most agreeable to be in schuyler's house as he could converse with them in french and his kindness made them friends in eighteen hundred one when mrs schuyler and some of her family visited montreal and quebec they were received with grateful attention by the descendants of those gentlemen near saratoga the scene of general schuyler's triumph he had an elegant country seat which was destroyed by general burgoyne it was one of the most picturesque incidents of the war that the captive british general with his suite should be received and entertained after the surrender at saratoga by those whose property he had wantonly laid waste the courtesy and kindness shown by general and mrs schuyler to the late enemy and their general forgetfulness of their own losses were sensibly felt and acknowledged madame de Ridesel says their reception was not like that of enemies but of intimate friends all their actions proved that at sight of the misfortunes of others they quickly forgot their own this delicacy and generosity drew from burgoyne the observation to general schuyler you are too kind to me who have done so much injury to you the reply was characteristic of the noble-hearted victor such is the fate of war let us not dwell on the subject 
the marquis de chastelieu mentions that just previous to this visit general schuyler being detained at saratoga where he had seen the ruins of his beautiful villa wrote then to his wife to make every preparation for giving the best reception to burgoyne and his suite the british commander was well received by mrs schuyler and lodged in the best apartment in the house an excellent supper was served him in the evening the honours of which were done with so much grace that he was affected even to tears and said with a deep sigh indeed this is doing too much for the man who has ravaged their lands and burned their dwellings the next morning he was reminded of his misfortunes by an incident that would have amused any one else his bed was prepared in a large room but as he had a numerous suite or family several mattresses were spread on the floor for some officers to sleep near him schuyler's second son a little fellow about seven years old very arch and forward but very amiable was running all the morning about the house opening the door of the saloon he burst out laughing on seeing all the english collected and shut it after him exclaiming you are all my prisoners this innocent cruelty rendered them more melancholy than before thus were even the miseries of war softened by mrs schuyler's graceful courtesy while the military renown won by her husband's illustrious services was associated with remembrances of disinterested kindness bestowed in requital for injury in reverse her resolution and courage had been proved equal to the emergency when the continental army was retreating from fort edward before burgoyne mrs schuyler went up herself in her chariot from albany to saratoga to see to the removal of her furniture while there she received directions from the general to set fire with her own hand to his extensive fields of wheat and to request his tenants and others to do the same rather than suffer them to be reaped by the enemy the injunction shows the soldier's confidence in her spirit firmness and patriotism many of the women of this family appear to have been remarkable for strong intellect and clear judgment the mrs schuyler described in mrs grant's memoirs was a venerated relative of the general he lost his admirable wife in eighteen hundred three her departure left his last years desolate and saddened many hearts in which yet lives the memory of her bright virtues one of her daughters mrs alexander hamilton now resides in washington d c and another at oswego chapter four catherine green catherine littlefield the eldest daughter of john littlefield and phoebe ray was born in new shoreham on block island seventeen fifty three when very young she came with her sister to reside in the family of governor green of warwick a lineal descendant of the founder of the family whose wife was her aunt the house in which they lived twelve or fourteen miles south of providence is still standing it is situated on a hill which commands a view of the whole of narragansett bay with its islands mount hope associated with king philip and the indian traditions fills the background rising slightly above the line of the horizon it was here that miss littlefield's happy girlhood was passed and it was here also that she first knew nathanael green she often went on a visit to her family at block island nathanael would come there to see her and the time was spent by the young people in amusements particularly in riding and dancing of which the future general was remarkably fond notwithstanding his father's efforts to whip out of him such idle propensities he was not discouraged by the example of his fair companion from any of these outbreaks of youthful gaiety for the tradition of the country around and the recollections of all who knew her testify that there never lived a more joyous frolicsome creature than kate littlefield in person she was singularly lovely 
her figure was of the medium height and light and graceful at this period though in after years she was inclined to en bon point her eyes were grey and her complexion fair her features regular and animated the facilities for female education being very limited at that period miss littlefield enjoyed few advantages of early cultivation she was not particularly fond of study though she read the books that came in her way and profited by what she read she possessed moreover a marvellous quickness of perception and the faculty of comprehending a subject with surprising readiness thus in conversation she seemed to appreciate everything said on almost any topic and frequently would astonish others by the ease with which her mind took hold of the ideas presented she was at all times an intelligent listener on one occasion when the conversation turned on botany she looked over the books and collection of a swedish botanist making remarks from time to time which much interested him and showed her an observer of no common intelligence this extraordinary activity of mind and tact in seizing on points so as to apprehend almost intuitively distinguished her through life it enabled her without apparent mental effort to apply the instruction conveyed in the books she read to the practical affairs of life and to enrich her varied conversation with the knowledge gained from them and her observation of the world this power of rendering available her intellectual stores combined with a retentive memory a lively imagination and great fluency in speech rendered her one of the most brilliant and entertaining of women when to these gifts was added the charm of rare beauty it cannot excite wonder that the possessor of such attractions should fascinate all who approached her how when or by what course of wooing the youthful lover won the bright volatile coquettish maiden cannot be ascertained but it is probable that attachment grew in the approving eyes of their relatives and met with no obstacle till sealed by the matrimonial vow the marriage took place july twentieth seventeen seventy four and the young couple removed to coventry little it is likely did the fair catherine dream of her future destiny as a soldier's wife or that the broad-brimmed hat of her young husband covered brows that should one day be wreathed with the living laurels won by genius and patriotism we have no means of knowing with how much interest she watched the overclouding of the political horizon or the dire advance of the necessity that drove the colonies to armed resistance but when her husband's decision was made and he stood forth a determined patriot separating himself from the community in which he had been born and reared by embracing a military profession his spirited wife did her part to aid and encourage him the papers of the day frequently notice her presence among other ladies at headquarters like mrs washington she passed the active season of the campaign at home hers was a new establishment at coventry a village in rhode island where her husband had erected a forge and built himself what then passed for a princely house on the banks of one of those small streams which form so beautiful a feature in rhode island scenery when the army before boston was inoculated for the smallpox she gave up her house for a hospital she was there during the attack on rhode island and every cannon on the hard-fought day which closed that memorable enterprise must have awakened the echoes of those quiet hills when the army went into winter quarters she always set out to rejoin her husband sharing cheerfully the narrow quarters and hard fare of a camp she partook of the privations of the dreary winter at valley forge in that darkest hour of the revolution and it appears that as at home her gay spirit shed light around her even in such scenes softening and enlivening the gloom which might have weighed many a bold heart into despondency there are extant some interesting little notes of kosciusko in very imperfect english which show her kindness to her husband's friends and the pleasure she took in alleviating their sufferings 
how much her society was prized by general green and how impatiently he bore separation from her may be seen in his letters asterisk the letters quoted or referred to in this sketch are from the manuscript correspondence of general green in the possession of his grandson professor george w green of providence rhode island late consul at rome return to text when about to start for the south in october seventeen eighty he waits for her arrival to join him expecting she will overtake him at camp or in philadelphia and expresses the greatest anxiety that she should avoid the dangerous route by peekskill his fear for her safety at last impel him to request her not to encounter the risk mr hughes who knows the feelings of the anxious wife detains the letters and afterwards confessing the unwarrantable liberty for which he deserved to appear before a court-martial says but if i do i will plead mrs general green again he writes give me leave to say that your lady if possible without injury to herself must see you my god she will suffer a thousand times as much by a disappointment as she can by going ten times the distance notwithstanding her ardent wish to accompany the general it seems that mrs green was prevented from doing so mrs washington writes to her from mount vernon to say that general green was well and had spent the evening at mount vernon on his way to richmond general weedon in a letter to her announces that the general had stopped for the night at his house in richmond and invites mrs green if she should come as far as virginia to quarter under his roof a letter from the commander-in-chief written from new windsor on the fifteenth of december encloses mrs green a letter from her husband and offers to forward hers mrs washington he says who has just arrived at these my quarters joins me in most cordial wishes for your every felicity and regrets the want of your company remember me to my namesake nat i suppose can handle a musket the namesake alluded to was the eldest son who was afterwards drowned in the savannah river his mother never recovered her spirits after this shock mrs green joined her husband in the south after the close of the active campaign of seventeen eighty one and remained with him till the end of the war residing on the islands during the heats of summer and the rest of the time at headquarters in the spring of seventeen eighty three she returned to the north where she remained till the general had completed his arrangements for removing to the south they then established themselves at mulberry grove on a plantation which had been presented to green by the state of georgia mrs green's first impressions of southern life and manners are painted in lively colours in her letters to northern friends the following passage is from one to miss flagg if you expect to be an inhabitant of this country you must not think to sit down with your netting pins but on the contrary employ half your time at the toilet one quarter to paying and receiving visits the other quarter to scolding servants with a hard thump every now and then over the head or singing dancing reading writing or saying your prayers the latter here is quite a phenomenon but you need not tell how you employ your time the letters of general green to his wife breathe the most entire confidence and affection his respect for her judgment and good sense is shown in the freedom with which he expresses his thoughts and unfolds his hopes and plans he evidently looked to her for support and sympathy in all his cares and troubles his lighter hours even in absence were shared with her sometimes his youthful gaiety breaks forth in his descriptions of adventures and persons encountered in his travels and regard for his interests was plainly above every other thought in the mind of his wife after his death she writes to mr wadsworth his executor september nineteenth seventeen eighty eight i consider blank, 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 debts of honour and would starve rather than they should not be paid 
i am a woman unaccustomed to anything but the trifling business of a family yet my exertions may affect something if they do not and if i sacrifice my life in the cause of my children i shall but do my duty and follow the example of my illustrious husband it was while on a visit to savannah with his wife that general green was seized with the disease which in a few days closed his brilliant career they were then preparing to return and pass the summer at the north the weight of care that fell on mrs green in consequence of this event would have crushed an ordinary mind but she struggled nobly through it all some years afterwards thinking that some lands she owned on cumberland island offered greater advantages than mulberry grove she removed there with her family dividing her time between the household duties and the cares of an extensive hospitality occasionally visiting the north in the summer but continuing to look upon the south as her home it was while she lived at mulberry grove that she became instrumental in introducing to the world an invention which has covered with wealth the fields of the south late in seventeen ninety two her sympathies were enlisted in behalf of a young man a native of massachusetts who having come to georgia to take the place of private teacher in a gentleman's family had been disappointed in obtaining the situation and found himself without friends or resources in a strange land mrs green and her family treated him with great kindness he was invited to make his home in her house while he pursued the study of the law to which he had determined to devote himself according to the account of some his attention was attracted to the cotton plant growing in the garden and to mr miller's observation that cotton of that sort could be cultivated as a staple provided some method could be found of cleaning it from the seed according to others a party of gentlemen on a visit to the family spoke of the want of an effective machine for separating the cotton from the seed without which it was allowed there could be no profitable cultivation of this more productive species mrs green spoke of the mechanical genius of her young protege introduced him to the company and showed little specimens of his skill in tambour frames and articles for the children eli whitney for that was the name of the young student was strongly impressed with the conversation he examined the cotton and communicated his plans to mrs green and mr miller who gave him warm encouragement a basement room into which no one else was admitted was appropriated for his work he laboured day after day making the necessary tools and persevering with unwearied industry by spring the cotton gin was completed and exhibited to the wonder and delight of planters invited from different parts of georgia to witness its successful operation mr phineas miller entered into an agreement with whitney to bear the expense of maturing the invention and to divide the future profits he was a man of remarkably active and cultivated mind mrs green married him some time after the death of general green she survived him several years dying just before the close of the late war in england her remains rest in the family burial ground at cumberland island where but a few years afterwards the body of one of her husband's best officers and warmest friends the gallant lee was brought to moulder by her side she left four children by her first marriage three daughters and one son of whom the son and second daughter are still living mrs miller related to a lady residing in new york the incident of colonel aaron burr's requesting permission to stop at her house when he came south after his fatal duel with general hamilton she would not refuse the demand upon her hospitality but his victim had been her friend and she could not receive as a guest one whose hands were crimsoned with his blood she gave burr permission to remain but at the same time ordered her carriage and quitted her house returning as soon as he had taken his departure 
this little anecdote is strongly illustrative of her impulsive and generous character the lady who mentioned it to me had herself experienced in time of the illness of one dear to her mrs miller's sympathy and active kindness and described her manners as gentle frank and winning her praise were i at liberty to mention her name would do the highest honour to its object the descendants of mrs green regard her with affectionate reverence she was a loved and honoured wife and a tender yet judicious mother her discipline was remarkably strict and none of her children ever thought of disobeying her yet she would sometimes join with childlike merriment in their sports a lady now living in providence states that one day after the close of the war passing general green's house in newport she saw both him and his wife playing puss in the corner with the children she loved a jest and sometimes too a hearty laugh upon her friends on one occasion while living at newport after the close of the war she disguised herself like an old beggar-woman so effectually that she was not recognized even by her brother-in-law in this dress she went round to the houses of her friends to ask charity telling a piteous tale of losses and sufferings at one house they were at the card-table and one of her most intimate friends as she ordered her off desired the servant to look well as she went out and see that she did not steal something from the entry at another the master of the house was just sitting down to supper and though an old acquaintance and a shrewd man was not only deceived but so moved by her story that he gave her the loaf he was on the point of cutting for himself when she had sufficiently amused herself with this practical test of her friend's charity she took off her disguise and indulged her merriment at their expense reminding them that with the exception of the loaf she had been turned away without any experience of their liberality mrs green's power of fascination described as absolutely irresistible may be illustrated by a little anecdote a lady who is still living had heard much of her and resolved as young ladies sometimes will when they hear too much about a person that she would not like her one day she chanced to be on a visit at the late colonel ward's in new york where she saw a lady dressed completely in black even to the head-dress which was drawn close under the throat who from her seat on the sofa was holding the whole company in breathless attention to the lively anecdotes of the war and the brilliant sketches of character which she was drawing so skilfully and in a tone so winning that it was impossible not to listen to her still the young girl's resolution was not shaken she might be compelled to admire but the liking depended on herself and she took a seat at the opposite side of the room how long she remained there she was never able to tell but her first consciousness was of being seated on a stool at the old lady's feet leaning upon her knee and looking up in her face as confidingly as if she had been her own mother End of chapters three and four